The Start On Demand. On demand. The Winnipeg Jets are done. After sweeping the Edmonton Oilers in the first round, the Jets have been swept by the Montreal Canadiens, and we'll try to figure out why the Jets couldn't figure out the Habs. We've got an incredible story about a lost ring, the original owner to be reunited with it 35 years later. Crime Stoppers is resurrecting a program from the 90s called Hot Cars Cold Cash to help fight auto theft. And what are some of the analog things you still love or refuse to let go of. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, June 8th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. You know, I, I I tried to make an amendment to the uh, public superstition order yesterday, and I actually watched the Jets game, hoping that you know maybe just maybe. What if they? What if the Jets score first mm-hmm. when I'm watching the game? <laughs> but uh, what I thought they they didn't. So turns out uh, that had no effect. I'm sorry. I tried. I, I tried, Greg. It's okay. I appreciate uh, you trying. How about this? I missed both. Jets goals. Really? Jackie and I were out in the backyard and we were having a, a talk, a fairly serious parenting talk. And uh, the kids came running out. It's 2 2. Logan Stanley scored two goals. And then I looked at my phone and everybody was, you know, all my friends were texting me. I said, I've been outside. I missed both. Yeah, you have to stay there now for the rest of the game. And I said, I'm not staying outside for the rest of the game. I will stay out for the rest of the second period. But after that, I'm going inside. So scoreless third period and then very early in the overtime. I think some people would look at it, Loren, that the Montreal Canadiens put the Jets and Jets fans out of their misery to a great extent. Yeah, I wasn't sure which way to think about that until the end. I have to say, I really did believe, I really did think we were going to win that one last night all through the game, despite all the things I didn't like about what I was seeing on the ice and some of the calls by the refs. And I, 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 there were so many reasons, let's put it this way, far more negatives than positives, but I really still believed. And then when that, uh, when Montreal scored in overtime, I just thought, okay. And I shut it off and calmly went to bed. I had screamed at the TV like 97 times up until that <laughs> moment. But mm-hmm. finally in that OT, I was like, there it is. All right, we got to go. And the thing is that we've been saying that so many of us have built our routines over the past several months around Jets game days and start times. And I think so many of us have been loving this run, this bizarre playoff run, because it's been the distraction we all needed, not just for the joy it brought with the sweep of the Oilers, Greg, but that there's such a big part of our lives. And so it's hard, you know, you're like, okay, well, I got to move on. Summer starts now. Don't know what I'll do with my nights, you know, while we're under these restrictions and all the rest, but fine, I'll move on. And I need to move on because it's too much heartache right now. Yeah, you know, it's a good point. And uh, the players know this. And I think collectively, it's one of the reasons why so many players love to play here in Winnipeg. And um, I just want to play some audio from the post-game show last night and from uh, Paul Maurice's media availability. Our good friend, Murata Tesh of The Athletic, put it this way to Blake Wheeler, who is, of course, captain 
of the Jets. Is there any solace that you take at this moment of having given Winnipeg and the community fans something to cheer about through the first round up until this point? I mean, I'm happy you said that, Marat. Um, it's been a really hard year. You know, it's been a really hard year for, for the players and, and our families. I, I think, especially, you know, looking at how things are in the United States right now and Winnipeg is code red and everything's shut down and kids aren't in school. I mean, you know, my family feels that just as much as any other family. And I think even the economic impacts of that in our community are far reaching. So we know that we have a community and a fan base that is going through a really difficult time right now, especially when they turn on the TV and they watch the other playoff games and see 18,000 fans without masks on and having a, you know, having a great time. To answer your question, I mean, after those Edmonton games coming out of the rink and seeing our fans honking the horns and, you know, lighting up the city was, I mean, that was one of the highlights of this whole season and honestly of the, the whole last 18 months. I mean, that was like, it kind of gave you a life again to, to want to do this for, for Winnipeg and, and keep put on a show for them, keep giving them something to watch. I think that's one of the most disappointing things is people have nothing to do and we were giving them something to do. And, and uh, so, you know, we feel bad about that. I think sometimes we think the players live in a vacuum, in a bubble, and and uh, the, the only world is uh, home and the rink, and that they are not really cognizant of what's going on around them in the community. I think from those comments from Blake Wheeler, you, you understand that he's very well aware of what we're all going through and what we've been through over the last 16, 17 months. Here's Coach Paul Maurice, and he shared these thoughts on the fans of the Jets. And you, and you want to share that with your fans. We have such a fantastic home building you know and and the crowd is it's different there i think than anywhere else so you do you feel like you missed out on something but i I would imagine there's been a tremendous amount of sacrifice for a lot of people over the last year and a half but it would have been nice to give something back and and to have the crowd you know i mean it's not just the jets players or the coaches it's the fans too it's painful loss it's a painful thing to go through so you like to have the other side of it happen too when something good happens and we miss that yeah, and we're going to miss it too, I think. And, you know, I, I like the eloquence of both those statements there. I think as fans, I'm going to add this to the list of things I never want to do again post-pandemic. I never want to go through a sporting experience again from my home where all I can do is rely on the negative vitriol on t- Twitter and not the energy of a rink or the energy of a stadium or an energy of the parade or the energy of a mob, a flash mob that shows up at Portage of Maine. I don't want to do this again. I feel for everyone who just was looking for a little bit of light in some sometimes described as dark times. And so we'll move on and, and Brett will move on with the conversation because there's lots more to get into about what's next for the Winnipeg Jets. On Saturday, went grocery shopping and uh, since safe, like I, I go to Safeway, it's right next to where I live and they dropped plastic bags last month. They finally uh, took, you know, removed them. Uh, so I had to grab a couple of reusable bags. But I have not yet gotten myself into the habit of remembering to bring said bags to the store. So I often get to the store and realize, oh, shoot, I forgot my bags. So I can only end up buying essentially what I can carry in my hands, and uh, which is fine. It only, it's only a two-minute walk from my place. But... Uh, I finally remembered to bring the bags on Saturday, got all my stuff, loaded up, rang it up at the self-checkout, and realized I had forgotten my wallet. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to ask the clerk, can I leave this stuff in the cart, run home and get my wallet, and come back? And it ended up being a 
uh, kerfuffle or rigmarole, as it were. And somebody suggested to me, you know, why don't you just set up a digital wallet? Like, uh, for me, it would be Google Pay. And uh, I just refuse. I'm, I, I don't know if I'm just getting too old and stubborn. I just don't want to do it. So we want to talk about the analog things you still love, the analog things you refuse to let go of, or maybe the analog things that you miss. 204-780-6868. Text us for a chance to win a great prize package from Manitoba Turkey Producers. Let's go around the horn here. Cam Poitras is here. Jeff Braun is here. Jeff Forte. Jeff Braun, why don't we start with you on this? For me, it's analog clocks and wall calendars. I'm looking at two of them right now, and I prefer them both greatly to a digital clock or trying to look up the calendar on my phone kind of thing. It's just like the quick visual image that uh, it just automatically downloads all the information I want into my brain without me having to think about it. So that's what I prefer. Because with like a digital clock, as soon as you see, oh, it's 917, then it's like, then you just got to do math if you're trying to figure something out. You know what I mean? But if you've got an analog <laughs> clock, you got... 12 whole hours facing you all at once. It just instantly computes for me. <laughs> I like that. And it, that, say an analog clock, especially if you have an analog watch, uh, that's a nice a nice piece to have. Forte, what about you? You know what? Actually, I take a cab every day, and the Priuses, they have the the digital speedometer. You know, it's not the, the needle. It's not the analog needle that goes up and down. And when I'm driving, I like to see that needle go. You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Step on the gas, and that thing's... <laughs> do you have that in your automobile oh yeah of course okay does it make that sound no, i make that sound <laughs> step on the gas i'm making that sound <laughs> 14 you're a beaut uh cam Poitras. uh i still do all my bills like i i count i do all them on like with like multiplication, well, not multiplication, but like I do all of my bills and all my adding and subtracting on paper and with pen and paper still. Like I don't even use a calculator. I I, I do it the old-fashioned way, you know, the, the way I was taught in like uh, in grade one and I add up all, all the money that I got to give away every single month. <laughs> And um, yeah, I still I still add it all up on just I, I never use a calculator, never just do it pen and paper, classic grade one style. Wow. Yeah. Well, you just you got to get as much use as you can out of that fountain pen. <laughs> well, of course, yeah. I mean, and uh, yeah, I just I just prefer to to, to do it like that. Like, um, uh, you know, my my fiance kind of bugs me about it. She goes, I can't. She looks, look at you. You're writing it all down like that. And I said, this is the way that I do it, and just leave me alone. Do you still walk to the bank and like? No, I, I was waiting your, for like a checkbook no, story where he has that no, ledger on the side of his checkbook. No, he no. puts on a suit and a tie and a fedora <laughs> and walks to the bank. It's <laughs> really open at nine a.m. Uh, no, no, I do all my banking online. I'm not uh, not that old school, but uh, I, I I figure out how much money I have left at the end of the month, and then you weep. B- but yes, I cry. <laughs> I cr- absolutely cry. But I do that all on pen and paper. Macklin. Uh, actually, uh, Loren Jackie still uh, does the old checkbook balancing, and she'll go online and she fills in all the stuff that we pay. So she always knows uh, basically up to the minute uh, what's not in the account, as you guys might say. And I, I'm with Jeff Braun on the calendar thing. I would put up a four by eight calendar somewhere in my house if I could. That 
at a glance thing is so convenient. I miss it so much. The whiteboard. Do you remember that six mile long whiteboard we had at our old mm-hmm. location? <laughs> at Kim Lawson is still crying that it's not there anymore. Yeah, well, you know, we gave Richard Cluche a hard time about making sure that that whiteboard was part of our, our newsroom. I really liked it because you could just take a look and you could see what people were working on a day or two or three in advance. None of this clumsy Excel spreadsheet stuff and digging into that. So I'm a big fan of the uh, good old-fashioned calendrier. And Loren? I agree. It's looking at something. And I'm the same with lists. I don't like to make a note on my phone if I'm going grocery shopping or rather. I write it down on a piece of paper. I got a little loose leaf that I like to pull out and my pencil and I'll make a grocery list. And I'm the person pushing the cart, looking down at my list for two reasons. One, I love crossing things off. Like it's so much more rewarding, satisfying when you have a list of things to do or buy when you have that piece of paper. And to the point where, like, my husband will go to the store, just text me what you need. And then I hand him a piece of paper. He's like, just text me. I'm like, it's on the paper. Just take the paper. I don't want the paper. Take the paper. <laughs> like, I just, I, it's so much nicer to see it like that than to have to pull out your phone and find the list. And then there's no satisfaction in backspacing and deleting something. Give me a break. Oh, you got to cross it out. Yeah, you want to just, <laughs> done. <laughs> see you later. So 204-780-6868. The analog thing. Things that you still love, the analog things that you refuse to let go of, or maybe the analog things that you miss. 204-780-6868 for a chance to win a great prize package from Manitoba Turkey Producers. We'll give it away just after 9.15 in the... Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, apologies if I'm extra cantankerous in this segment. I'm seething right now. I'm locked out of my email. I'm trying to get... I I forgot to change my password, and I forgot they updated the system so that if you don't do it ahead of time, then you just get locked out. And now I have to chase down somebody in Toronto, and the the after hours people didn't get back to me. And now I'm trying to call them. Right now they have the option to talk to somebody or just leave a voicemail. Try to leave a voicemail. It kicked me out. (laughs) So it's like, oh, sorry, the call can't be transferred right now. So I'm still locked out. Anyway, uh, it's I get maybe there's a a, an interesting bit of irony that I'm having problems with digital technology this morning because we're asking you at 204-780-6868 about the analog things that you still love that you refuse to let go of and we're getting some uh, great text messages here uh greg i see uh, heather and sandy weighing in yeah i'm gonna read heather's loren if you want to read sandy's heather's uh, really kind of uh, maybe fits for you right now brett good morning gang i miss slamming down the phone when hanging up on someone it's not nearly as satisfying anymore just hard press on that red button just doesn't really do the same. I agree. That's why you want to go back to the flip phone at least. That snap was like, booyah, I'm done with you. That felt good. <laughs> Sandy texted to say, I still love receiving and sending a greeting card versus a text or Facebook post. Just a handwritten message is so sincere and means you and someone spent the time to look for a card with the appropriate message. I totally miss garlands with Christmas cards hanging on them. Thanks from Sandy. So keep those texts coming, 204-780-6868 for a chance to win that Manitoba Turkey Producers prize pack. We'll give it away just after 9.15. In the meantime, the Winnipeg Jets season is over, as it is for 30 NHL teams. Their season ends without a Stanley Cup parade. 
Yeah, it was, of course, a bizarre season by any standard, Brett McGarry. But you can say un- you c- you can say unlike any other. But I would suggest that the conclusion of last season wasn't usual, to say the least. So uh, we don't need to measure unusualness this morning. So it's back to the drawing board for the Jets, nonetheless, as they try to build a championship team. One of the big questions this morning: How did the Canadians ultimately so completely dominate the Jets for four? game sean reynolds of sportsnet and frequent contributor to our game day coverage here on cgob hit the nail on the head here at least paul marie's thought so whenever you talked about the montreal canadians it seemed clear to me that there was a, a real deep respect for that team from you and how they played in the style and you seem to recognize the danger of that style it is what we saw in this series exactly what you knew they were capable of and i remember at the beginning of the series you talked about them whichever team got to their identity first was going to succeed is this a case that they got to theirs and you didn't get to yours so i i would agree with that completely that that in this they were as good as i've seen them be in the game that they played and it started three games into the, the last three games of the toronto series you're watching it and you're you know, I know there's there's all the consternation from Toronto that they didn't win that. But when you're watching those last three games, you know that they're getting to where they need to get to. And then they had the addition of their goalie, right? Carey Price got to that elite level that he's at, that combination. Um, and, th- and then in truth, um, that combination versus us in terms of style is, is a big challenge for us, right? So they're not looking to trade at all. Um, and in doing so... Um, they created some their forecheck very very quick on our d and that and that was a place that we struggled with clearly um and then they would have those top four guys minus tonight that made it very difficult to get to the net so it was a tough match um which i still think we had a chance to win but i think it would have been difficult you lost mark that was a that was a difficult problem so that was Coach Paul Maurice joining us now as the host of Jets at Noon, Cameron Poitras. Cam, uh, did you or anyone that you had on the show in the last week see this coming, the complete sweep by the Canadians? No, it was kind of there was kind of an, an anticipation for a longer series, that's for sure. Um, but I think after the second game, and especially after the third, you started to see the Jets chasing every second of the game. And I think uh, during Hextall on Hockey, just uh, in, in the last hour there, I think... Leah Hextall. I mean, you talk about nail on the head. I think she nailed it. The the, the Habs uh, dictated the, the 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 game. They played the game that they wanted to play. That they knew that they could win, and the Jets were just completely unable to do that. Um, and they they had the potential to win this series. There's there's no doubt about it. Uh, they 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 could have won this series, but uh, I. I it's it's tough to look past the disaster of game one, the loss of Dylan DeMello, Paul Stasny coming back, missing the first two games. He's injured. Um, of course, losing Mark Scheifele was 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 tough. And not not to say that the team couldn't rally around that and, and, and get better, but that first game, I think just there was there was a sinking feeling among Jets fans. Uh, and I think that usually when there's that, like I, I felt sick after the first game because of just how everything ended up playing out. And, uh, yeah, that's what happened for the rest of the series. You know, Cam, when you talk about being able to dictate play and which style is played, scoring that first goal is such a big part of that. And the Jets were unable to score first in any of the four playoff games against Montreal. And Blake Wheeler thought it was a big difference in how things played out. 
they're playing a uh, a really good game, you know, with, with the goaltending that they have, um, any breakdowns or he, he he's putting out those fires. And, you know, we just couldn't get the first goal. We just couldn't do it all series. And uh, that plays right into their hands, especially their, their top four defensemen are big and heavy. And um, they do a good job of just clearing pucks and throwing them out of the zone. And um, you know, I, I really felt like in any of these games, you know, probably – Probably outside the first one, uh, games two through four, if we just could have found a way to get that first goal, you know, could be a different series, but um, but we didn't. And you, you just got to give them so much credit. They, they, uh, they're playing unbelievable right now. Yeah, tough to argue with that one, uh, Brett. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just, uh, uh, you know, like a com- – <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's just it. I mean, it was the Habs got out to the game that they wanted to play. Um, and the way that they wanted to play was exactly how those games ended up. And they dictated the play over all four games. This really wasn't that close of a series um, at all, I, 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 I don't think. You know, I one of the big, with you. Yeah. And I think <laughs> one of the big topic of conversations coming out of this, we're going to talk about the coach. You know, the, often the coach, the fingers are pointed at him or post a loss like this. But also some of the players, I mean, we did not get what we expected out of Pierre-Luc Dubois. And yeah. quite, you know, just as an average casual fan, I struggled to even find him on the ice at times to figure out where he was and if he was even part of any of the plays. But he, it was just not his game at all. Well, yeah, and, and you're starting to hear some speculation that he, he may have been injured. There's kind of rumors mm-hmm. coming out there right now. I, I would uh, – this is going to be a, a big part of this team moving forward, Pierre-Luc Dubois. And, and I, I, I would advise Jets fans to go back to – and Pierre-Luc Dubois is only 22. And I want everyone to go back and look at Nick Ehlers when he was 22. Uh, 37 points, 21 goals, and then those that playoff series where he was uh, didn't even register a point. Remember that in those six games that he did play? Uh, in, in the playoff run uh, there back in, in, in 2018, 2019, there was a lot of talk about, about Nick Ehlers. Um, so I, 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 would, I, would, I would halt anyone from thinking that Pierre-Luc Dubois does not have the ability to become a fantastic player and a fantastic center in, in, in this league. And, and, I, and I think him being under uh, the, the, the Jets' um, sort of umbrella in this offseason will allow him to take that next step and the, and the Jets can can really uh and, and they've the Jets have developed some great players here and and to have now Pierre-Luc Dubois sort of that same sort of umbrella I think he's going to do nothing but but soar here so um in terms of uh, uh Paul Maurice you don't make any changes in this team I I think I think yeah it's a tough series you had a big series win against the Oilers but you hold it together you keep it going because uh, I, I believe this team is is just starting to hit its stride Ken Poitras Host of Jets at noon. Thank you, my friend. And uh, I guess you'll be on the air for the rest of the week with the show. Or uh, is that go straight it's, through the offseason? You know, we're not stopping. We're turning to Bombers at noon when Bomber season gets going, Greg. Yeah. We don't stop. I love it. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb. On the subject of analog stuff that we miss, um, Somebody to- said to me the other day, uh, they, I guess they were looking at buying a car, but they don't even come with CD players anymore. I have, I mean, my car is 10 years old, so I haven't even looked at a new car in a while, but can you even get CD players? No. Not that I've seen. No, like our car, we've never had a brand new car, but no, our last one I'm trying to remember was a 2017, maybe 2018, 2018. No, no CD player. Yeah, mine's, at all. An 18, yeah mine's an 18. I have a CD player, but no. I think it's a, probably the last one. <laughs> last year that you could get one I, I was i was so excited about it too and then i realized 
I have every single song in the world on my phone. And with a patch cord, it's accessible to my Apple Play on my vehicle. So I, I was less excited after I realized I didn't need to haul, haul around that CD wallet any longer. Uh, that's another thing to miss. The wallet and the bang you'd have to hit on the dash when the CD would skip. I still have a CD wallet in my car. so <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> it's the same oh. discs that have been in there for like... 15 years, but I don't care. I'm picturing you on a date as you woo your lady friend. Just check this zip, zip it and open. Which just, you can pick whatever you want, my friend. Can I recommend Smash by The Offspring from 1994? <laughs> but in the meantime, we want to continue the conversation that we just started on second dose summer and vaccine passports uh, because, you know, it was hinted yesterday that we might see some minor, minor tweaks to the public health order uh, starting on Saturday. But uh, if anything, there'll be just tiny changes, so no significant changes. But as we continue to move towards vaccination, as we see those numbers slowly come down, you... (laughs) This can't go on forever, GMAC. I it's just I need some I need a carrot. You mentioned the blue and gold carrot. I need some hope here. Well, the Toronto Maple Leafs haven't won the Stanley Cup since 1967, so it can go. Things can go on for an awfully long time, <laughs> a much longer time than many would expect, hope or dream. But you're right; this isn't going to continue. And uh, Blake Wheeler mentioned it in some of his comments that we played for you earlier this morning. Of course, there are full arenas. There are full stadiums in the United States. We're going to start seeing more and more people in arenas and stadiums in Canada. Of course, Montreal Canadiens have been hosting 2,500 fans per game uh, since game six of their series against Toronto. So for three games now, and of course, it's unmistakable to see uh, the gatherings on the streets of Montreal last night and uh, on Sunday night for for games three and four. So it is starting to come around, but there seems to be almost, Lorena, absolutely no way, no how, feeling, sentiment growing with regards to vaccine passports within Canada. There seems to be this sense that people are going to push back on this for anything that doesn't include international travel where another country demands we have a vaccine passport. And I'd... One of our listeners just uh, texted us and asked us, um, just let me move my microphone over here. I heard on the news that we should guard against using a vaccine passport within the borders of Canada. Tom says, why is that? Why why is that indeed, Lorette? Well, so this, first of all, comes from Dr. Rusin saying that a vaccine card might be in the works. And so you can go online. Once you have your vaccine, it's all connected to your health card. And so you can find it online and you can print that out. And then once you get your second dose, you can have your proof of your second dose. But they're looking at something that might be more of a permanent feature where you have a card that, I don't know if it's going to say vaccinated and have a stamp on it. I've been I've been picturing this morning, like wearing it like a lanyard where I can flash it like uh, Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber. Like, don't worry, I'm a limo driver. But don't worry, I'm vaccinated, right? Like with this thing that you'll have to show people. And I think some of the hesitancy comes, well, then what what are the layers to it? I think people can wrap their head around international travel, where you're coming and going from, keeping an eye on people where they have been and where there might be other outbreaks when it comes to international travel. But once you start using it interprovincially, well, where first of all, how does that work? And then what are the layers to it? Are you going to start seeing it in 
for, to get into restaurants, to movie theaters, to concerts, to games. How is that going to roll out? And I, so I think some of the hesitancy comes in the fact that it's it's more of a slippery slope. And I'm just going to try to drop into you into production now, Brett. A clip that we've been playing uh, this morning from the U of University of Manitoba law professor about his concerns because he doesn't think that they have any role in interprovincial play. That he thinks this is Brandon Task. He thinks that the vaccine passport really only makes sense if you're going to other countries. And so I think the hesitancy really is what we've been talking about from the beginning. It is the idea that you know. It's a slippery slope. Where does this take us if you have to continue to have this proof? And so here is U of M law professor Brandon Task. While they're fine for international travel purposes, and there's precedent for that, uh, I think we really need to to guard against uh, vaccine passports being used for domestic purposes within Canada. Why do you not like it? Or why do you like it? Sorry, Greg. I, I think that's where you're going. Well, no, you know, I'm I'm on the fence. I just I don't understand why this uh, absolutely no way no how stand that I start that I'm starting to hear and have heard almost from the beginning. I look at a province like PEI. They've had exactly zero deaths from COVID nineteen. Tourism is a big part of their economy. They should be benefiting from the fact that they have come through uh, this pandemic as relatively unscathed as they have. But how do they protect the citizens of Prince Edward Island uh, to the maximum extent? If they're going to start welcoming people, golfing is a big part of the economy there in the summertime. At what point do they not have a right or do they have the right to say, you know what, we'd love to welcome you to PEI. You're welcome to come here. But here is the caveat and here is the expectation. You must have you must have uh, two vaccinations if you're from outside the Atlantic bubble. Right, but you can, I think, uh, it, you know, I'm thinking more of Manitoba's perspective. Like, yes, they, lots of people will fly in and out of major destinations and major tourist des- destinations, but so much travel is done on the road. How are we, how are we controlling that when it comes to you have to have proof to cross a border uh, when it comes by land? There's no one going to be stationed at every single land yeah, well, border point. Happen. So that's a challenge. I guess then you put the onus on hotels and restaurants and all the rest to have to check for that. So that becomes part of the problem. And so I think, I think there's just so many layers to it that haven't yet been considered for all the smaller stuff. I think people can wrap their head around at the airport, Brett. Just show it, just like you would, to show that you've got a passport. Now show me your second vaccine passport. That might make more sense to people, but it's it becomes really hard when it gets to those smaller layer of things, I think. Let us know what you think, 204-780-6868, or you can email Mackling at cjob.com, McNabb at cjob.com, or Brett at cjob.com. Police believe hate is the motive behind a hidden run that killed three generations of a Muslim family in London, Ontario. Yeah, the family was out for a walk Sunday night when they were struck and killed. Police believe the driver deliberately targeted the family with the London police chief Steve Williams saying, quote, we believe the victims were targeted because of their Islamic faith. The actions there, and at this stage we have to call it alleged actions, they took the life of a grandmother, her son and his wife, and their 15-year-old daughter. The sole survivor is a 9-year-old boy who is now recovering in hospital. 
As you can imagine, this senseless, horrific attack has sent shockwaves right across the country. And joining us now from Winnipeg is Shahina Siddiqui, Executive Director of the Islamic Social Services Association. Good morning, Shahina. Good morning. I always hate to have to reach out to you at times like this because it, we then have to ask the question, and it, it might be just too basic, but at this moment, how are you feeling this morning? I think I'm still processing, but uh, the, the hard thing is, you, you know, you feel shock and grief, but for myself, I was not surprised, and that's, that's the sad part of it. Can I ask why? Why do you say you weren't surprised, Shahina? I've been saying this for the longest time, even last time, when when an attack like this happened in a mosque and one in Toronto, that things will escalate. We knew this was coming long before the killings started because of the hate that had gone unaddressed, Islamophobia that was being denied and, and, and ignored. Uh, the everyday, um, you know, the vandalism at mosques and whatnot, those were signs for people to pay attention, for our leaders to pay attention, uh, that this would only escalate. Uh, Because when you don't address hate, the one hating things, it's okay. Our silence became complicit. And I think that's why I say I... Those of us who work, and you know I have been doing this since even before 9-11, seeing the signs of Islamophobia taking root in our in our society. Our heart goes out to you this morning and to the entire community that are dealing with this, Islamic, uh, Muslim, and, and, and non-Muslim, Islamic alike. This is, this is hurting Canadians on a very real level, obviously, in your community much more so Shahina tell us a little bit about the conversations you're having with your family your friends and and maybe particularly with children this morning these are difficult conversations with adults we can process uh, and we can discuss but with children you have to watch your words you have to watch your language your body language your tone of voice you don't want to scare them but you at the same time you also are concerned of what you know, young people are the ones who are on social media, who who don't have the filters that 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 grown-ups have, and so it hits them harder. It hits them at a level, and they're not able able to articulate the feelings. So, those for all of us across Canada, our concern is our children and our women. Uh, when you're identifiably Muslim, as Muslim women who wear the hijab are. Uh, they become soft targets and 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 have been targets for the longest time in Canada and that's where our concern is. We are, you know, mobilizing our our counseling services across Canada. We are planning to once the funerals and right now the, we are just concentrating on the family and 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 the London community because they have directly been affected. We are having second-hand <laughs> grief and trauma, but they, they are the ones in the middle of uh, of it. And, and so that's the first concern. Second is how we do we heal, how do we bring a community, how we don't let anger take root, how we don't let uh, our youth and our women feel insecure uh, walking, just walking the streets. I mean, I never thought... And, 
my 46 years in Canada that, that we would have to worry about walking down the street. Shahina Siddiqui, the Executive Director of Islamic Social Services Association, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Shahina, thank you very much for this. Thank you. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, reminder that at 9.15 we're giving away that Manitoba Turkey Producers prize pack based on your text messages about the analog stuff that you still love, the stuff that you refuse to let go of. And James uh, weighing in with, with I think, uh, some feedback that can add just a slight, not wrinkle, but maybe a new layer to this. James says, while not analog, it's considered old technology. I still prefer to fax things over email, especially documents I don't have on my computer, rather than having uh, to scan it and then attach it to an email. I find it easier to just put it through the fax machine. So, James, thanks for weighing in. And, yeah, it doesn't, ha- just because it might not be, it might still be digital technology, but, you know, if it's sort of like something that's like old school, you know, we mentioned CDs earlier. I know a lot of people would rather listen to CDs than audio off of their phone. So keep those texts coming, 204-780-6868 for your chance to win the Manitoba Turkey Producers prize pack. Now we want to ask the question, do you have a friend or coworker you would do absolutely anything for? Yeah, and that might be, you know, picking them up or giving them rides to work, dropping off meals, offering a place to stay if they need a place to sleep, or money. Requests might come in for money, and I think there's all sorts of things we might say that we'd give or do for our friend. But this morning we want to ask whether or not you would consider giving part of you, literally giving them an organ like a kidney. This is actually National Best Friends Day, and so to celebrate, we're sharing the story of a living kidney donation. It was born out of a co-worker relationship and then friendship. And joining us now to tell more is Michelle Jansen, kidney donor. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. And then with her is Rezzy Oleas, the kidney recipient. Good morning, Rezzy. Good morning. Well, thanks for taking the time for being with us. Can we just start with your struggle with kidney failure? How long has this been going on, and and at what point did you get put on the transplant list, Resi? Well, uh, back in uh, February of oh, sorry, October of two thousand nine was when my kidneys started to fail, and I had to be put on dialysis. Um, pretty much when I was put on the list, I was projected to wait possibly six years on the waiting list. Um, well, six years passed, seven years, eight years, nothing. So I was beginning to lose hope. So on my ninth year of dialysis was when I had a conversation with Michelle. And from there on, that's when everything changed. So Michelle, I, I love Brett and Loren very, very much. But, <laughs> but I'm not sure where the line is. Tell us about your relationship oh. about uh, with you and or between you and Rezzy. Uh, we understand that you work together and, and tell us just how special your friendship has become. <laughs> well, I've actually worked with Rezzy um, a lot of years. We've worked for the same company actually 25 years now. Um, but Rezzy was just one of those people. She never, we all kind of knew she, you know, had issues with her kidneys because she would go for dialysis. But you never heard her complain. She never asked for special treatment, nothing. She just troopered on and, and went about her day. And uh, 
to be honest with you, fairly early on when I found out about Resi, I just kind of felt a pull. Like, I just thought I should get tested. Um, and when the opportunity presented itself, I just honestly, in my heart of hearts, knew it was the right thing to do. For me personally, surgery doesn't scare me or anything like that. And just the idea of the change that it could make for her, um, I just, it, it, I didn't hesitate. It just felt like the right thing to do. And I honestly knew fairly early on before getting results that it was going to turn out okay. It just was a beautiful experience for me from start to finish, to be honest. Michelle, were you aware about her struggles with kidney failure? Uh, I knew that uh, she didn't talk about it too much, and she's quite private, so we didn't go into great detail, but I knew she was a mother, and I myself am a mother, and uh, that is a connection right there that just, I couldn't imagine everything that she had missed. She was going to dialysis for four hours a day, three times a week. Her daughter was the same. Her daughters are very close in age to my daughter. And um, I just thought it, there, there wasn't anyone more deserving or a better person than Resi, honestly, to, for this to work out. Well, it's beautiful to hear that. Uh, as Greg said, you know, it's one thing to say you might do it. It's another thing to go through it. Resi, I'm, I'm curious, when Michelle came, did she come up to you and say, hey, like, I'd like to help you out? How does that conversation go? And then tell us about your reaction as a result. Well, at the time, Michelle was going through her own personal medical struggles. So we, I decided to approach her and just have a talk with her. And then we pretty much just opened up to one another. I opened up to her more as well with the situation I was in. Because I, I, I could relate to her because we both had daughters. And I broke down and I pretty much told her how I felt, everything I was going through. And then I guess that's when Michelle pretty much mentioned... I want to get tested. I want to contact transplant and get tested. And at, I was in disbelief at first. I wasn't sure I was hearing her right. Like, I couldn't believe it. And I didn't actually think she would go through with it. How come? I just, a part of me, because it, it didn't feel real. It didn't feel like someone out there was actually willing to do that for me. Rizzi, like, uh, you... I, I, I was worried about her because I knew she was a mother and I just didn't, it didn't feel real to me at the time. Rezi, if I'm hearing you correctly, this was sort of born out of your concern for Michelle, you reaching out to her <laughs> in her time of need. Do I, do I have this right? Yeah. Like I was worried too, with her suggesting to be a donor, I myself was worried for her safety as well, because I don't want to put her through anything that could complicate her health because she is a mother, a single mother, and I didn't want to do that to her. So I was worried at the time for her safety as well. So Rezzy, how are tell you? Us, oh, sorry. Go, go ahead, Brett. No, I was just going to, to say, ask Rezzy, how are you doing now? Oh, I'm great. Like I'm, I, I feel well, I feel good. Um, my life has changed completely. <laughs> like I have so much more time with my family and friends. Just this weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I just, it's amazing. Like, I can't thank Michelle enough for what she has given me and my family. So, Michelle, tell us a little bit about the procedure. How did this all, how, how did this all go down? And, 
And was there any point where you thought, oh boy, I'd like to take a U-turn here? Nope, not at any point at all, actually, to be honest. Um, it's a bit of a longer process. Like I contacted um, Transplant Manitoba. They sent me out a huge booklet of information you got to complete and stuff like that. And there's basically three phases of testing. So early on, you kind of go for an orientation and stuff like that. And I just want to say when when I went for that orientation, I kind of had a light bulb moment because there was, you know, people there giving to wanting to donate to their family and stuff like that. And nobody was um, like a lot of people were on disability and stuff, right? Like full time dialysis is a lot. And it kind of opened my eyes to just what an exception Resi was. Like she worked full time the whole time throughout the whole nine years. Um, and just the effort, it kind of really solidified for me um, what a change this would make for her and how hard her life had been since she'd been ill, not even to mention how she must have felt every day. But basically, you know what, you go for your orientation, um, you get your blood tested, uh, you have to be the, you have to be at that time the same blood type. I don't even know that you have to be now, though, to be honest. But the whole process, uh, like you go for a lot of testing on a regular basis through HSC, but I will tell you, you're treated like a rock star, no joke. Um, every test you go for, they know why you're there, they know you're donating. Um, a lot of the... Um, physicians would ask questions and just what your story is and it just it always felt good like I would come to work after my appointments and I just would be on such a such a high of the feeling it just felt so good all the time and then in the final you know you get the final test once you get the match of the blood then you're pretty much a go and uh, Resi had, of course, done all the medical work prior because she was on the, the donor list. And um, the difference, too, that I want to mention to people is being a living donor rather than a deceased donor, which I will also be at some point, um, really makes a difference in the lifespan of the organ that you're donating. Like a living donor gives such a better um opportunity to the recipient it really lasts a lot longer the testing's more thorough um but yeah when the testing was all done and we booked the surgery i honestly think that uh that's when resi realized like this is an actual go but the process for me was um it was great like the testing is not invasive or anything like that very basic stuff um just lots of appointments like it's a commitment it was about 10 months worth of testing um, but again, such every time I went, just such great energy, great experience. Um, I, I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. I really would. It's amazing to hear, Michelle. Before we let you guys go, Michelle, of course, is the kidney donor. Resi, you're the recipient. Words probably can't say enough. Your thanks, and I don't know if there's a card for this. Like, what did going going oh, there forward? Isn't. There isn't, right? There I mean, isn't. I don't I don't know if a Tim Hortons gift card is really going to cover it, but. <laughs> Yeah, but no, how there really isn't there, there really isn't anything anything I can do or say to thank Michelle. Like, there's nothing. Like, she knows she knows we love her. My family loves her. We're here for her. But yeah, there's nothing you could say or do to thank Michelle for what she did for me. Well, Michelle Jensen, kidney donor, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And Resi Oleas, the kidney recipient, thank you for your time as well.
Yes, thank you for having us as well. And what a great story to share on this National Best Friends Day. A living kidney donation story inspired by friendship and motherhood. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, the analog stuff you still love, the analog stuff you refuse to let go of. And it doesn't have to literally be analog. It could just be something we would now deem sort of old school or obsolete in some eyes. And this text message here, years back, my old Palm Pilot glitched and I lost all of my data, appointments, contacts, everything. It was empty. I cannot explain the hassle it was to figure out what I was doing next for several weeks after. So I no longer fully trust technology. Yeah, I use digital calendars, sync with my phone, etc. But it only serves as a backup or something I can reference quickly if I'm out and without my hard copy. The paper calendar is the primary source written in stone. And I... You know, this reminds me that I really need to take advantage of some sort of a written calendar because I rely so heavily on my phone. And if that phone were to die, like if I were to drop it, I know that there that some of that stuff would be in the cloud. But the immediate uh, need that I would feel for it, Greg, would uh, be crippling. <laughs> I totally get it. A hundred percent. The whole idea of uh, giving things up sometimes are is worse than actually giving <laughs> giving it up itself. It's the whole anticipation of, of death thing. So, yeah, I, I am looking at some text messages right now about radio as well, and of course that hits close to home for us because so many people are suggesting uh, at least two or three suggesting that they miss the old analog radios and the ability to fine-tune their radio. Mm. I don't know if either of you guys used to stay up all night trying to find radio stations from all over North America, but I know I used to do that all too often, and there was nothing like finding that radio station from Oklahoma or San Francisco or Chicago and being able to tune in, just, you know, listen through the crackle. You can't do that on the digital radios anymore. So there are lots of things like that where where you, you miss the, uh, either it's on or it's off, right? That's the nature of digital. And so uh, you sometimes miss the, the in-between stuff. I think that, the, the you know, there's been so many, there's so many great things you can say about advancements there, like the radio player app. It, it, to me, I love listening on that versus the radio because I like the clear sound. But then there's that thing about radio where you like to have a bit of that crack once in a while. And it was always fun to hit like the scan button or go searching for the, it just goes around the wheel looking for radio stations that may be up in the middle of the night. Or I used to always think about driving out West and you'd hit that section in Saskatchewan where it was just dead air for 27 minutes because it couldn't find anything. So the, the more things change, sometimes you miss things from the past. But I think the hardest part is at the end of the day, as good as the technology is, it, it fails too, right? So getting back to your phone, Brett, I upgraded to a phone in the fall and lost half my contacts. And I don't know where they are and why they didn't weren't in the cloud. And so I will get text messages even now. I'm slowly piecing it back together. But someone will text at Christmas time. Hey, Merry Christmas. How are you? And I had to say, sorry. Ooh. Obviously, I know you all well enough for you to wish me a Merry Christmas, but I don't know who you are. <laughs> That's the word new. What do they say? New phone, who dis? Yes. Yeah. 
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Coming up at 9.35, Winnipeg Crime Stoppers is bringing back its Hot Cars Cold Cash Initiative. You might remember that from decades ago. They're doing this to help combat auto theft. So at 9.35, we're going to learn more about some of the scary things that happen as the result of auto theft, including a child finding a loaded gun just steps away from where a stolen car was abandoned. In the meantime, have you ever lost a special piece of jewelry, something you received as a gift or something symbolic of a special life event or achievement? Yeah, we know people lose special items all the time. There's probably somebody listening to the radio show right now running through their house looking for something special to them that they misplaced last night or yesterday. And um, let me tell you, I was at an Edmonton Oilers game years ago where the woman sitting beside me lost her engagement ring. And I'm pretty sure I heard her mention that it was worth about 10000 bucks. So the seats in which we were sitting were retractable. We were in the second or third row. And um, the ring essentially fell into, and now forgive the terminology, friends, the bowels of the old Northlands Coliseum. The woman was obviously devastated. And when I left the rink, arena staff were doing everything they could to retrieve the rink, uh, the ring at the rink. And I, I, you know, it put a genuine damper on my night. I didn't pay for, give, or receive the ring. So we know that uh, there are special items uh, that are essentially irreplaceable, Loren. Yeah, it's not always about cost, right? It could just be the memories that are generated from them, where they came from, who gave it to you. It could be an heirloom. It could be a special moment in your life. And so we want to talk about a happy ending to a story involving a lost ring and the gifts a small town can offer. And so we say good morning to Tammy Lee in Tilston, Manitoba. Good morning, Tammy. Hi, how are you? We're well, thank you. And thank you for taking the time to share this with us because it gives hope for people who may have lost those special things along the way. Let's start with the ring. When did you receive it? Uh, like, what's its significance to you? I graduated high school in Moscada in 1985 and a special person bought the ring for me. And so when did you lose it? 1985. <laughs> <laughs> wow. How long was this ring in your possession? Oh, it was close to a year, I guess. I was going to the University of Manitoba. And needless to say, it was the first year of university coming from a small town. So, you know, we probably were having fun. <laughs> and uh, I did misplace it. And it was a, I don't remember the exact day, but I remember the time. And it was, it was sad, but I, as I grew older, I realized the significance of losing it. So we've seen the Facebook posts about the mystery ring. And by the way, you're listening right now. If you want to see the post, I've linked it to our 680 CJOB Instagram story if you want to get a glance at that and the ring. Uh, so regarding this mystery ring, who is Bobby Joe, the person who made the post, and how did she end up with the ring? Well, she doesn't have the ring, actually. And that's the incredible part of the story. Um, I'm never on Facebook anymore, and I got a message the other day on Facebook, and I looked at it, and it was this Bobby Joe, and I didn't know who she was. But come to find out, she was from Mosqueda also, but much younger than me. And she went to a dental hygienist in Winnipeg to have her regular teeth cleaning, and they started talking to each other. They didn't know each other, but come to find out, the hygienist was from Melita, and she started talking about her husband, who had this ring. Mm. And, and they how did he Malaga have the ring? 
Well, this Bobby Joe told me that he found it as a child on Pamina Highway. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he kept it? And he it? kept it. Yeah, what kind of special guy is that? Little kid to keep it all these years. So this is 1985 you lost the ring. I, I'm not really yeah. good at that. Is this 36 years ago? Okay, well, we don't have to mention that. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if we've got this right, Bobby Joe is at the hygienist. The connection, yeah. they make the small town connection. Oh, that's where yeah. you're from? I found this. My husband found this <laughs> ring. We have to try and connect this ring with its rightful owner from 1985. Correct? Are, are we all, Correct. have we got it yeah. right to this point? So then what happened? Yes. So she contacted me and she said, she asked me some questions, you know, to see if she could confirm who was. And she said, are you from Oskeda? And I said, yes. And she said, what are your initials? And I said T-L-L, and the initials on the ring are T-L-L, and we engraved them with our own handwriting. So I knew it was my ring when she sent me the picture because I didn't see the Facebook post. Who saw the Facebook post? Um, My sister seen seen Bobby Joe's Facebook post. My sister is the one who connected me to it. So when you finally got the ring back, uh-huh. does it look oh, I haven't the same? It back yet. Oh, you haven't gotten it back yet. So how's that reunion with the ring happening? I mean, I feel like there should be a party, quite frankly, with all of you involved. But <laughs> Susan, the dental hygienist, her parents come to Melita frequently, and they're going to bring it out in the future. Oh. Yeah. So be- well, this is absolutely fantastic. So. Now, your life back to southwestern Manitoba, for those that don't know, Waskeda, Melita, Tilston, they're all basically about as far southwest Manitoba as you can get. You're almost (laughs) in Saskatchewan. In fact, your sister is in Saskatchewan, right? Correct. Right, Tammy? Yeah, my property is like three miles from the border, yeah. Exactly. And so Tatum is actually a really good friend of 680 CJOB. She's a huge Blue Bomber fan. And she reached yeah. out to me to to share this with <laughs> me to say, you have to share this story. It's absolutely incredible. And she's right. <laughs> and so now this uh, ring, it's not been exactly a straight line for you. It's not like you graduated from Waskeda Collegiate and just stayed in Southwest Manitoba. No, actually, um, shortly after I lost the ring a couple of years later, I lived in Tasmania for a while and worked on a sheep farm. And then I married an American, and he was in the Air Force, so we lived in Japan and all over the place. And then I came back after 25 years. Amazing. Amazing. Are you going to wear the ring when you get it back? Um, well, you know what? It probably won't fit. <laughs> Are you a bit more responsible now with it? Or do you think, you know, you you might end up at, you can't go to Monty's on Pemina anymore, but we can find (laughs) you another place to celebrate with. (laughs) Well, I think my celebration days are pretty quite limited now, especially in COVID. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, Tammy Lee, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, This has been super fun. Uh, what What a neat story to find out that you're getting your ring back after all these years. Absolutely, and thank you for having me. And a shout-out to Joel and Susan and Bobby Joe and Tatum.
Tackling McGarry and McNabb, we've been asking you to tell us about the analog things that you still love that you refuse to let go of. I forgot my wallet on Saturday at the grocery store. Got all my groceries, rang them all up, and then realized I had no wallet, which wouldn't have been a problem if I had set up a digital wallet like Google Play, but call me old school, I still like to carry around a wallet, and I'm just too stubborn to set up the Google Pay. So... We've been getting a lot of great texts this morning. Vic, for example, says, For me, I don't want to let go of having to use a key to start my car. A lot of driving a car is turning the key. We already had to give up pumping the gas. Well, fuel injection, I guess that was a good invention. But we had another person weigh in saying, I hate driving my husband's vehicle because you got to push a button to start it. I prefer to start my 2000 Corolla with a key any day. I concur with both of these listeners. I hate the push button start. I also like the throwback to the 2000 Corolla. I love a good Corolla story. Everybody had one, it felt like. Toyotas are bulletproof, man. They last forever. I think my parents had a Camry for like 17 years, and all they ever had to do with it was change the oil. My dad's a big Toyota guy, too. And I saw on social media yesterday, somebody had a picture of their, like, 1989 Toyota Corolla versus their 2015 Toyota Corolla. Both were running... They use them both. <laughs> that is amazing. amazing. Uh, Greg, why don't you read Mike's text and then, Loren, you can bring us home with a win. Yeah, I dig uh, Mike's text here. It's really good. Good morning, guys. My favorite item that I've hung on to for years is an old school mounted on the wall pencil sharpener. A mounted, yeah. <laughs> I bought it at least 30 years ago and installed it in my workshop. I use it regularly to sharpen my favorite HB pencils and only HB pencils. Whoever used a 2H, anyway, the drafting guys used 2H, Mike. That's who. Uh, the satisfaction of making a perfect point on the tip, the smell of those shavings, and just the thought that this sharpened pencil offers a new start to a project gives me great satisfaction. Oh, Mike, you paint such a wonderful picture. Mike's not the winner? Mike is not the winner. We're going with Eve Loren. And this is, I think it might just be because this is personal to me. I, I get this. Eve, one of our most loyal listeners as well, texted to say, the analog thing I refuse to let go of is the manual transmission. I actually bought a $2,000 car to teach my son how to drive one. He now owns a small pickup with manual transmission. And my daughter, well, I just helped her buy a pickup as well with manual transmission. It drives my wife crazy that there's three people in the household that are diehard Shift it yourself, people. I had to be careful as I read that. Yep. But yeah, I like, I get it. I love, I love driving stick. It, there's something very, especially when you're just, you're having a day, you know, you just take it out on the stick ship. And it's slowly dying off. A lot of manufacturers yeah. are slowly moving away from manual transmission. So Eve, congratulations. You win the prize from Manitoba Turkey Producers. First of all, just got to say, happy birthday to my dad. Smash Gordon, happy birthday, dad. I'll drop by later and I guess stand outside your fence, seeing as I'm not your designated visitor. I'll just throw food at you uh, from the back lane. (laughs) Uh, Looking at your forecast, a mix of sun and cloud. He likes scones. I think I'm going to bring him some scones. I should bake him some, maybe hard, like the puck. (laughs) That's right. Does he have anything he needs smashed? Smash Gordon, anything smashed? (laughs) 
<laughs> mix of sun and cloud today, risk of thunderstorms, high 30. Partly cloudy tonight, risk of thunderstorms down to 19. Tomorrow, mix of sun and cloud, risk of thunderstorms, high 26. And Thursday, mostly cloudy with a high of 25. It is 22 degrees outside 680 CJOB. Mackling McGarry McNabb, just got to quickly mention the question of the day at cjob.com. It is brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Now that the Winnipeg Jets are done, what will you do? And your options are more time outside or here we go, Bombers! And so far, it is a 50-50 split. Cast your vote at cjob.com. You can also vote on my uh, slightly more informal poll on my Twitter at Brett McGarry, where the options are uh, drink, cry, stare at the floor, or all of the above. Uh, But again, cjob.com for the actual question of the day. In the meantime, some of you might remember this. Once upon a time, back in the 90s, Winnipeg Crime Stoppers had a program called Hot Cars Cold Cash to help fight auto theft. And they're bringing it back because it's not just about stopping cars from getting stolen. It's about stopping the crimes being committed, Greg, with these stolen cars. Uh, Here I thought we had nailed the idea of stolen cars in Winnipeg and that it was a thing of the past. Constable Doug Singleton is the police coordinator for Winnipeg Crime Stoppers. Constable, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. So uh, maybe that's uh, where we start. Uh, is it a fallacy that, that Winnipeg had or has uh, taken care of its stolen car problem? I think the numbers were down for a while, but they're starting to rise a bit. Um, I think what we're looking at is less and less of those um, those joyriders that we were looking at in the late 90s, early 2000s that you guys were just talking about, and more for the um, more criminality involved in it now. It's more um, to the point they're stealing them for crimes. What do you mean about by that, Doug? Do you mean, Constable Singleton, do you mean that they're doing it to execute another crime, so they steal the car and then it's used in something else? Absolutely. We're finding cars have been involved in strings of crimes. Um, basically, there was a case this weekend where um, a, a vehicle was stolen. It was then used in a couple of robberies, and it was ultimately used to run down a couple of police officers who thankfully weren't hurt too bad when they were trying to arrest uh, somebody who was doing a robbery. And then it was crashed into another building. Um, we don't know what the reason for that one is. Now, yesterday, uh, Constable, you told me a pretty scary story. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why we want to highlight this, uh, involving a child uh, in connection with a stolen car. What was that story? So basically, um, a call came in for officers to, uh, to attend to a residence where a gun had been found. Um, Officers attended. Uh, turned out that a gentleman and his younger 11-year-old son were out for a walk. They noticed a gun laying on the ground, uh, didn't think much of it, went to go pick it up and realized that it was actually a real gun, ultimately took it back to their house, called 911. Officers were dispatched, got the gun, found that it was actually loaded with one in the, uh, t- t- the chamber. So basically it was ready to fire. It could have accidentally been gone off whatnot. Officers did a little investigation and found that the gun was actually found four feet away from the front door of our recovered stolen our vehicle that they were just recovering. They didn't really realize until they'd start running the vehicles that were found close to that gun that, that one of those vehicles was actually stolen. So they can make a pretty quick leap there to find that that gun probably came from that stolen vehicle. Wow. Uh, obviously, that's a, a story that could have had a very different ending. How often are the stories ending tragically we hear about Air One uh, pursuing vehicles on a regular basis. We we hear about so much crime in our city. How much of it is actually being committed with that purpose 
uh, built uh, stolen vehicle, a vehicle that has been gone out and and been stolen for the express purpose of committing a crime. Absolutely. I think, you know, a large portion of the the, the vehicles that are being stolen right now are for that purpose. Like I said, you know, 20 years ago, you were probably looking at a lot of cars that were stolen where we're joyriding. People were stealing four or five cars a night, driving from one place to another, stealing another one. Now it's kind of purpose stealing. They're, They're taking that car and they're planning on using it in other crimes. And I mean, we're not talking about you know, minor crimes here, we're talking, um, we're talking robberies, we're talking home invasions, and, and quite possibly murders. I mean, um, these, these cars are being used, they're being ditched, or they're being placed someplace where they can possibly re- reattend them and use them again. Or, you know, the word gets out that there's a stolen vehicle here, and all of a sudden people that are, you know, loosely associated to the first person who stole it are then using it for themselves as well. How are they being stolen? Because I know we had in lead up to the pandemic, there was all sorts of, you know, there was the meth crisis in the city and we heard a lot about carjackings. And so I'm curious, uh, is it just the car that's in the parking lot left, maybe not properly secured or, or what's the situation here in terms of how the cars are being stolen? So basically I was looking through the numbers yesterday and we've got like, I've made three different sort of like rows of, of way they're being th- stolen. We've got uh, theft of keys through whether it's a robbery or a, fe- you know, just a general theft through a house or a break and enter where somebody's stealing the, the key sort of thing. Um, there's not much we can do with that other than fight crime. Um, there's hot wiring the vehicles and there's not many of those many anymore. Most of the vehicles out there have some sort of a device into them that uh, doesn't allow somebody to just hotwire them or default or defeat the the, the uh, ignition. And the last one is, and this is actually pretty high. I was pretty surprised considering the time of year it is, is that people are actually leaving the keys to the car in the car with it running or just sitting on the seat sort of thing. So there's a, a high number of people who are going into run errands or they're dropping something off at home, delivering stuff, whatever it is, and they're actually leaving their cars running or leaving the keys sitting in that car. Well, and that's probably been a big problem over the last year with uh, during the pandemic because takeout has been so popular. You can't walk down a busy street without... Like, I live in Osborne Village, and on a Saturday night, the, this, there will be like 15 delivery drivers parked on Osborne, and sometimes the car is still running. Absolutely. I mean, and it's kind of weird because it's not the kind of weather you'd have to worry about that. Uh, I think that we need to get the word out there is that you need to take the, I mean, you, you gain nothing by having your vehicle stolen. So please, if you're making deliveries, you're going into someplace, please take the keys out of your ignition. Please take the keys out of your car. Yeah, especially when uh, so many uh, people don't even have to put the keys in the ignition. It has stay in your pocket and a push-button start, as we were talking about different technologies throughout the morning. So what can we do? What can the general public do other than what you just outlined in terms of extra special care with the keys? Is there anything that we can do in terms of keeping an eye open for activity that looks suspicious? Is there, are, are there things that that happen uh, if people are, are perhaps trying to scout your vehicle uh, because they want to take it? Are there certain vehicles that are more popular than others, Constable, for this purpose? Uh, basically, they're, they're, I, I don't want to get into too much details as far as which vehicles are popular. That just kind of <laughs> adds to the, the their knowledge sort of thing. Um, I can tell you right now that if you see a vehicle being dumped in, or not even dumped, I won't even use the word, though. if you see a vehicle being parked in your neighborhood and you happen to see somebody walking away from it, you don't recognize them, you don't recognize the vehicle, and the people are walking away with a purpose, um, stay away from that vehicle. Don't get involved in anything that you might think is a a stolen vehicle. Um, You'll want to uh, maybe write down that plate number and give us a call, uh, Crime Stoppers 204 786 
888-888-8477 or through winnipegcrimestoppers.org. We can run that plate. You can call the police if you feel more comfortable doing that, 986-6222, and and they'll find out if that car is, in fact, stolen. We we have no problem running those... um, running those plate numbers just to confirm it. If you're, if you're suspicious of it, then give somebody a call on that. Well, that will help catch potentially the thieves and track down the car. Tell us about this program. As we said off the top, you're bringing back a program from the, I guess it might have been 80s or early 90s, hot cars, cold cash. How is it going to work? So basically, it's it, you're right, reviving, uh, it was a program in the early 90s. Uh, trying to be a little proactive here. We see the numbers going up, so we want to kind of nip it in the bud, so to speak. Um, so basically, starting now, until September the 1st, um, if you call in a suspected stolen vehicle, and it is in fact a stolen vehicle, uh, we'll be offering double rewards for this. I don't want to get into the exact amount because it's differing you know, for each vehicle sort of thing, depending on what's going on with that vehicle. But from this point until September 1st, we're going to be offering uh, double rewards on all um, stolen recovered vehicles. Just before we let you go, Constable, how many cars uh, are stolen in Winnipeg? Like maybe just in the last year? Um, well, last year, 2020, we looked at uh, 2,859 vehicles were stolen in Winnipeg. And so far this year, uh, from January to May the 31st, you're looking at 1,082 already this year. Wow. Well, listen, we appreciate you joining us this morning. Uh, Constable Doug Singleton, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Hot cars, cold cash. Again, that phone number, 204 786 tips and the website for Winnipeg Crime Stoppers. I'm just pulling it up now. Is just simply WinnipegCrimestoppers.org. 946 on 680 CJOB, Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Oh, and by the way, we usually speak with Winnipeg Crime Stoppers about unsolved Manitoba mysteries. And if you want to read more on those, go to the Manitoba Association of Chiefs of Police website, macp.mb.ca. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.